everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to be discussing blue-white in Lost Caverns Vixlon. Um, as always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for appropriate patrons. So, uh, as you may know, blue-white and blue-red are basically tied for the, uh, the best performing and most drafted decks in this format. Early on, I was kind of thinking of the aggressive decks as centering on, or the like, the artifact decks as centering on red and like being aggressive. Uh, that's kind of true, but blue white is also like very good. The blue cards are strong, so apparently the the blue portions of the just guy section, blue red is, I mean white red is slightly the weakest of them, but it's all they're all pretty good. As I see it, there are basically two distinct strategies available to blue white. Uh, there's like an aggressive flyers approach and uh, an artifacts control approach. Um, I think both are pretty good. I think they have a decent amount of overlap. I mean, you're going to play the good cards uh, in your decks, but I do think that you want to prioritize things in pretty different orders depending on which deck you're playing. But, you know, you don't want to be like so focused that you don't take a good card because it doesn't perfectly fit your plan. But you also don't want to play a card that's wildly off plan and not good in your deck just because it has good stats. So I went through and I made a list of um, commons and uncommons by color uh, that um, in roughly the order I think that they should be prioritized in each of these strategies. I always get worried if I'm like, and now I'm just going to read the name of 50 cards in a row. So I'm going to try to sum up. The Flyers deck is, of course, looking for flying creatures like Miner's Guidewing, the one mana, one on flying vigilance common that makes another creature explore when it dies, and Waterwind Scout, the 2-2 flyer that makes a treasure, and then also uh, the Cloud Guard, the four mana 3-2 flyer that makes a 1-1. It's going to depend a little where your deck's at and vary from draft to draft, but I think the like aggressive blue-white flyer deck actually prefers Miner's Guidewing to Ultec Cloud Guard. The lists that I made were differentiated by color, um, and I haven't combined them. I was not specifically saying Miner's Guidewing over Scout. I was listing the, the top white and top blue common uh, as I think of it. I, I think Scout's probably the best common for this deck, but I, I think that... So Ultec Cloud Guard has better stats than Guidewing overall in blue-white, um, on 17 lands. I think that basically whenever you're looking at the 17 lands stats, I think that you need to imagine that the stats that you're looking at are telling you how they perform in a deck that is less focused than I think you should be trying to draft. And so I think that like Ultec Cloud Guard plays better in unfocused mid-range decks, whereas I think like in the best blue-white like flyer decks, uh, it's more important to have the one drop. So I guess like my order would be roughly like the three mana 2-2 two, two flyer that makes a map, Waterwind Scout, followed by the one mana 1-1 one, one Vigilance, uh, Miner's Guidewing, followed probably by Ultec Cloud Guard, the 3-2 flyer that makes a 1-1, one, one, and then Oaken Siren, the 1-2 Flying Vigilance that taps for mana for artifacts, then probably Tinker's Tote, then 
I don't know. It, it gets pretty wobbly once you get to the low card, like the low priority cards. But other cards that make sense in the deck, uh, the one two white creature that puts a plus one plus one counter on something is very nice to like follow up a flyer with and make your flyer bigger. Especially because a lot of the flyers in this format are like one ones and one twos, and so a plus one plus one counter can be a pretty big deal. Which is the same reason that I like both deconstruction hammer and pirate hat. I think that equipping the flyers is pretty significant. And then I think you also like both Waylaying Pirates, the 3-mana three 3-3 three, three that stuns something if you have an artifact, and Shipwreck Sentry, the 2-mana three 3-3 three, that can only attack if you play an artifact this turn. And then also Quicksand Whirlpool, the 6-mana Exile spell that can exile a tapped creature for 3-mana. I think those are basically the commons you're looking for. I think the Pirates are mostly, you know, sometimes they let you, sometimes they get in, um, you know, you're playing a decent number of artifacts but mostly these are like tempo plays uh and like defend like good ground blockers uh to like be able to race the opponent with your flyers the key uncommons zoetic glyph uh in blue white it's very hard not to have enough artifacts for zoetic glyph it's the top performing uncommon in the set uh any blue deck that has enough artifacts that you can like reliably cast glyph on turn three it's going to be the best card available the best common or uncommon available so I think Zoetic Glyph, followed by Spyglass Siren, which is the one one that makes a map, followed by Rune Lurker Bat, which is the one one flying lifelink vigilance for one, followed by Guardian of the Great Door, which is the four four flyer for two, where you have to tap four things, followed by probably Staunch Crewmate over Spring Loaded Sawblades. Um, I think Spring Loaded Sawblades, uh, which is the five damage to a tap creature. Staunch Crewmate is the 2-1 that finds a, um artifact or pirate. Those things are, like, pretty close. I think I would give the nod, nod to the Crewmate, but it kind of depends on how many misses you have. Playfired Bricks and Lodestone Needle, I think, are pretty close and a little bit behind those. Playfired Bricks is the uh, thing that searches for a planes and uh, transforms to give all your creatures uh, plus 1, plus 1, and make two gnomes. That's better in the control decks, but it's a good enough card that you'd want to play it in your flying decks. Lodestone Needle is the tap a thing that can flip to make your stuff explore. I think that one's actually better in the flying decks because tempo matters a lot more and making flyers explore is very good. Uh, Kinjali's Dawnrunner is pretty good. I think probably better than Charter Course, Market Gnome, Duskrow's Reliquary, and then Melamet Warscribe uh, is somewhat desirable for some of these decks if you're very heavy on flyers that's most of the cards you're looking to make your decks out of that was ignoring uh gold and colorless cards but i don't think um master's guide mural uh the five mana make a four four that you can craft to get an artifact that taps to make four fours i think you generally want to play it but i think it's a lower priority than like a decent flyer um in the archetype but of course, the more blur you blur the line and the less very focused on an aggressive deck you are and the more you kind of shift into mid-range, the more you want Guide Mural. And certainly if it's like somewhere in pack one, you want to prioritize the Guide Mural pretty highly and then maybe shift into being a more controlling deck uh, to take advantage of the Guide Mural. Also, I think in general, it's a little bit easier to get the control version of the deck. Whereas I think that like, your colors have to be pretty open and things have to be going pretty well for you get it to get enough flyers for the flying version of the deck. I did trophy with a blue-white deck that had like 13 flyers and it felt very good. Uh, but I think that 
most of the time that's a little bit harder to get. So the artifact control deck, I think here, so uh, Waterwing Scout, I think is still just the best card um, or the best common. But I think, I could be wrong, but I suspect, depending on which synergies you have, that Tinkerer's Tote might actually become the best white common for you. And it's possible that Petrify is better than Ultic Cloud Guard. You're really looking for, you know, cheap plays and good answers. Skipping ahead a little bit to some other stuff that I think is just good to keep in mind while I'm talking about this order. First of all, successful blue-white decks, like I, um, looking at uh, like decks that trophied and stuff, successful blue-white decks typically have very, very, very low curves. Lots of one and two mana cards. And that makes a lot of sense because uh, you have a lot of like cantrips and crafting. And so the decks are really, really good at spending mana throughout the game, especially once you get to the very late game where you have enough mana for your six and seven mana craft abilities. And so before that, you want to be uh, sure that you're spending all of your mana and curving out and casting two spells a turn so that you don't still have cards clogging your hand at the point of the game where you want to be spending mana uh, to craft your stuff. So the, for that reason, I think you really want to prioritize cards that cost one or two. Um, these decks, I think, are a lot weaker if you just like have a lot of four drops. Also, blue-white control is in the relatively unique position in this format that because it doesn't care about uh descend and its artifact synergies are like present but you don't need a ton of artifacts if you just have some like puzzle doors and uh tinkers totes you'll be able to have artifacts that you need to satisfy your crafting requirements and beyond that you don't need like a particularly high raw artifact count and so because your types are a little less prescribed than uh the types in a lot of decks you can afford to like play more instance um and since that's unusual what ends up happening is you get a lot of like very premium interactive spells uh much later than you would expect to get them in other formats um, so blue-white control is in a position to really take advantage of, like, out of air, which is a pretty good counter spell, um, and unlucky drop and brackish blunder and um, uh, um, quicksand whirlpool and petrify and just get all of these cards. I think a little later than you would get similar cards in uh, formats that had like different priority priorities among the other decks. So your blue-eyed decks can actually be like really good control decks, which is why I think that it's easier to get the control deck than the flyer deck, just in terms of like, there are a lot of aggressive decks in the format and all of them want the efficient flyers, but uh, there are very few, like not all of the control decks want the instant speed control tools. So you can build a deck that like uses the instant speed control tools really well um, in blue-white specifically. So therefore, I want to just like prioritize, you know, these like good interactive spells that let the game go a little bit longer so that I can take advantage of um, my crafting and my better uh, interaction. Inverted Iceberg and Arouska Puzzle Door are really high priorities. Inverted Iceberg is just a really strongly aimed card that I've uh, seen end a lot of games uh, in like the Blue Light Control deck's favor. 
Um, and then Puzzle Door is just a really good enabler for your craft stuff while also giving you decent selection and turning through your deck. Um, Puzzle Door is also like a pretty good way to like help work towards smoothing out a splash. Obviously, control decks are relatively good at splashing, so it can help there. Also, if you do end up with any Descend stuff in your deck, um, it's a really good way to enable that because um, it can usually put two permanents in the graveyard if you want it to itself. And then you look at two cards and you choose the permanent to go to the graveyard and the other one to go to your hand. The more totes you have, the better Adaptive Gem Guard gets. Adaptive Gen Gem Guard has relatively poor stats on 17 lands. This is the four minute three three that you can tap two things to put a plus one plus one counter on it. I think it's very easy for this card to be good enough that someone could justify putting it in their deck and therefore i think its stats indicate its performance in decks that don't use it to the best of its ability i think that if you have like a lot of tinkerers totes uh it's quite a bit better and then if you have a way to like get it past opposing like one one death coach creatures uh it gets much better than that and so if you have a lot of tinkerers totes i think it's good to have just one or two adaptive gem guards they play really poorly in multiples but then if you have adaptive gem guard as part of your game plan then uh otaclan landmark the one mana artifact that scries to and can transform into a one four flyer that can like jump another attacker is a really, really good way to kill your opponent with Adaptive Gem Guard. And then also, like, it plays well because it's just a one-mana artifact that sits in play, scries up front. Um, and so I think that, uh, like, Tote is the card that's going to be pretty good regardless. And then the more Totes you have, start looking for Gem Guards. And then if you have a couple of Gem Guards, stop taking more Gem Guards and start taking Landmarks. Landmark is potentially playable if you don't have gem guard like a 1-4 uh flyer is a decent defensive creature and if you have like some puzzle doors such that you can uh craft with it pretty early it's like a reasonable defensive tool i don't like it in like really aggressive decks because i think it's hard to craft with it in a timely fashion but when you have like some big ground creatures that you're interested in giving flying to and you can use the just like one mana artifact being in play then i think it starts to like form a compelling package shipwreck sentry the two mana three three can't attack unless you play an artifact you're playing a lot of artifacts so it can often attack you also usually don't care if it can attack in your control deck you're pretty happy to just play a two mana three three defender attentive sunscribe is the uh two mana two two artifact that scries when it becomes tapped I think it's pretty filler, but it's a cheap card, and those are nice, and it plays well with uh, Adaptive Gem Guard. I think it's probably worse than uh, Cogwork Wrestler. I, I've moved up a little on Cogwork Wrestler from when I made these notes. I would say Cogwork Wrestler is probably behind Shipwreck Sentry and above Unlucky Drop in uh, this archetype. And then you're looking for, you know, some mix of Unlucky Drop, Brackish Blunder, and Out of Air, but you don't need to, like, take any of those early because so few people want them. But uh, it's, like, not bad to have a bunch of that stuff. The more you're doing the Gem Guard thing, the less you want, like, Unlucky Drop because it's another four mana spell. And then uh, you also have access to Oltec Archaeologists, the five mana four four that can return an artifact from your graveyard to your hand or Scry three. 
This one you want to be careful about because it's an expensive spell, and I mentioned these decks do well if they have a low curve, but the more um, you know, really high-value artifacts you have, the more you want it. Also, um, it's a way in blue-white to get back a um, Hoverstone Pilgrim, uh, and blue-white, as I'm going to talk about, can kind of do the Hoverstone Pilgrim thing sometimes. And then Soaring Sandwing, the white land cycler is better than the blue land cycler. Both land cyclers are fine. And then the three mana, three, three that can make one ones is like a fine thing to have one or two of as a late game mana sink. I think caves play well in uh, blue white control because you do have the uh, puzzle door and the iceberg that put them in the graveyard and um, your uncommon on color payoffs are potentially really good. Uh, Benthosaur is very easy to make very good, and the Batcave is actually really strong if you have a lot of caves. And then, of course, because your card selection and the fact that you're playing like a blue control deck, splashing is pretty easy, so you can like play the color-fixing caves and play off-color cave payoffs. So I, th I do think blue-white control is a good home for like a splashy cave deck, and so uh, I'm going to be taking like random common caves over cards that are off plan um, just to position myself to take advantage of some of the uncommon payoffs. As for uncommons in the blue control deck, Zoetic Glyph is probably still the best, but uh, I think Clay-Fired Bricks gives it decent competition in the really control decks. Glyph's still probably better, but uh, Clay-Fired Bricks is really, really good. And then also Master's Guide Mural, Scampering Surveyor, Hoverstone Pilgrim uh, are all high priorities. Not necessarily higher priorities than Spring Loaded, Sawblades, and Spyglass Siren. All of those are, you know, top tier super premium cards to me. And then a little bit behind that, you have like Staunch Crewmate, which is the 2 1 that finds an artifact or, or pirate. This one drops a little bit just because I'm expecting to have a few more instants and like therefore a few more misses for the crewmate, but that all kind of depends. Duskrow's Reliquary and Market Gnome and Guardian at the Door are all really good here. Uh, Bat Colony, again, high ceiling. Benthosaur, generally pretty good. Confounding Riddle um, plays really well here. That's the uh, counterspell or um, like impulse that puts the cards in your graveyard. Lodestone Needle, I think, is much worse in this than it is in the aggressive deck, but it's still a playable card. And then the the uncommon 1-4s in both colors, Dauntless Dismantler and Hermetic Nautilus, are reasonable, like, on-plan cards that um, I think are fine, but a little fillery. I'll usually play them, but I don't, you know, it, they're not going to make or break the deck in any way. As, as mentioned, you know, some versions, like, either... Either deck, really, the flyer or the um, control deck. I think it's a better fit in the control deck. Um, can the 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 gem guard package that like the gem guard plus tinkers to plus landmark plus you know a little bit more highly prioritizing like icebergs and stuff to have more objects in play, and then like if you end up with like a lot of the uh, the like blue creatures that makes make maps or whatever, that gets a little better. So. Maybe you happen to have like two spyglass sirens and two or three waterwind scouts, and then you're like, oh, I'm gonna have these maps sitting around if I want. So maybe I'll play this gem guard in my flyer deck, and then maybe I'll play this landmark. So I, I think that you know that that package can go in either deck, regardless. Like it's the synergy 
makes the individual cards strong enough that they play well regardless of your deck's strategy because the fundamental game plan there is kind of mid-rangey like you get a bunch of like stats like you're basically just making a bunch of numbers and the numbers can attack or block and it all just kind of works out so uh yeah the, the, that that package again pretty flexible i mentioned that i like to have caves if i'm caves i'm more likely to splash if i'm splashing i'm more likely to cave because the cards that let me splash also enable the cave stuff and then um, the more cave stuff you have the more you're interested in the artifacts that mill you like puzzle door and iceberg because uh when you mill a cave it counts towards your cave count and also those cards kind of help well especially the puzzle door kind of helps glue your mana together so that's like another kind of like pocket direction you can like that you know opens up some cards that you might care about more than you otherwise would um and then the more self mill you have and the more removal you have and the more card draw you have the more you want hoverstone pilgrim so once you like get into the like cave direction you start wanting self mill and then you start wanting hoverstone pilgrim and then you're kind of like a multicolor blue hoverstone pilgrim deck but you can you know kind of like shift gradually into that space um prioritizing you know the cards that are like one step further on the chain of because i have this i want this because i have this i want this and i think i talked more about like variation in the control deck because i think that there is more variation in the control decks like i i also think that the stats suggest the average drafting public understands the aggressive decks better than the control decks um, I think the aggressive decks are pretty straightforward. You know, take flyers, take some ways to pump them up, take a bit of removal, attack your opponent. Um, I think, like, figuring out, uh, oh, the control deck gets to prioritize these cards that don't necessarily perform well because the performance isn't understanding the, like, unique position of this deck, speaking to things like Out of Air and uh, Quicksand Whirlpool, and then also understanding oh, the control deck actually wants a really low curve and like draw three, discard one sorcery that might be good in a lot of control decks isn't necessarily good in control decks in this format because you have a lot of like cards that have craft abilities that let you spend the mana on. So you don't really need to put more cards in your hand because you already kind of have these like spells in play. And then it's better to like supplement that with caves than with dedicated card draw spells if you're worried about flooding out. So I think that uh, there are a lot of ways to um, kind of approach the control decks the wrong way. So they get a little more focus here. And also, like I said, I think the aggressive cards are a lot more contested. So um, I think that it's like, I think you get more value out of looking for and understanding the control deck in terms of like how often it's going to come up in the draft. And I guess... I should comment a tiny bit more on Cogwork Wrestler, just because I think I was underrating it even today, like knowing that it's good when I was uh, like thinking about how I'd rank the cards in these decks um, before looking at the trophy decks. And like there were a lot of trophy decks that just had like three uh, Cogwork um, Wrestlers or so. There was, by the way, I was, one of the tro I saw one trophy deck that was just totally awesome. It had um, the rare one five that uh, looks at two cards and puts one in your hand when you play an artifact um, with 
four Cogwork wrestlers and three icebergs, and then it had Hoverstone Pilgrim. And so the wrestlers meant that it was really, really good at triggering the 1-5 on the opponent's turn. And so then it could just churn through its deck really, really quickly. And I just loved everything that that deck was doing. So if if you, are, if you if you recognize that as a deck that you drafted and you're listening to this, kudos, that deck was sweet. Um, and uh, outside of, you know, the synergy with uh, that 1-5 rare, um, I do think that the death touch creatures in this format are pretty good and um the creatures in this format often tend to like just be pretty similar sizes um so cogwork wrestlers etb as a trick pays you off pretty often um and then it's also just like one amount in play artifact creature um really helps with like double spelling and the early game tempo positioning in this format uh really goes a long way to putting you in a spot where you can take advantage of your like crafting and stuff in the late game. Um, so I do think you really want to prioritize uh, those like really efficient plays. And I think Brackish Blunder, for example, exists in a pretty similar space. The two mana on summon that makes a map if it bounces a tap creature. So all that said, um, that's, that's kind of the speech or lecture or whatever that I prepared. So I'm going to turn it over to chat for questions. Um, so any questions you have, uh, enter now. And while I'm letting uh, people get those in, I want to thank the newest patrons of the podcast at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. So thank you to DW Chief Mayhem-esque, Devontoy, uh, Joe, and Dolo. Uh, really appreciate it. A lot of support this week means a lot to me. So thank you very much. If anyone else is um, interested in uh, supporting, giving back to the podcast, um, getting some uh, benefits, uh, access to notes and my uh, drafting, my um, 17 land stats and uh, coaching discounts and stuff like that, uh, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. Also, I guess while I'm on the subject, uh, I did last week say that I would be putting the topic up to a poll for patrons. This week, I didn't do that. I was wrong. I imagined that I would have more experience with more different archetypes between the last episode and this episode, and it turns out that I continue to get past cards that make me want to play black decks over and over, and so... Uh, I didn't have uh, enough experience with enough variety of archetypes to feel comfortable about talking about enough different things to make a poll. So uh, I, w I will keep an eye out for when I feel differently than that, and uh, we'll, see we'll see what happens. All right, so getting to questions. How do you value Lodestone Needle in the control version? It's an efficient play that like both buys you time and gives you like a late game engine. So I think it's reasonable in the deck, but um, I don't think it's like very high value. Um, so I, I value it uh, like on my list, I have it behind Confounding Riddle and ahead of Hermetic Nautilus. Um, I, so I, I value it below Premium Uncommons where I think it is kind of a Premium Uncommon uh, or like second tier Uncommon for the aggro decks. I guess it's like a third tier uncommon for the control decks um 
I don't I don't know how well that, that answers the question, but playable but not a priority, I guess, is really what it comes down to. For the aggro flyers archetype, so you're established in aggressive flyers, uh, pack three, pick one, Abuelo or Bricks or not interested in either. Abuelo is incredible. Uh, I, I would take Abuelo. Obviously, you know, you're going to have a lot more context by pack three about exactly what things you have to blink and how valuable they are. Um, but it's also just a three mana 2-2 flyer with ward two. Um, and it's really hard to not have a deck where you can get pretty good value out of activating it in blue-white. Um, and even if you're at a point where you don't have great value going into pack three, there are a lot of cards you can like move up your prioritization level very slightly to make a boilo good. So I would expect that I would almost always be taking a boilo there. I've been having good experiences with Might of the Ancestors and Aggro Flyer decks. What are my thoughts on it? Interesting. I have not ever really considered putting it in my deck. Um, I do think that like uh, an aggressive Flyers deck is a place that makes more sense to play it than most places. This is the three mana enchantment that gives a creature plus two plus oh and vigilance. I don't remember if it has to attack alone to get that. Um, I guess it doesn't make a lot of sense that it would. Uh, I haven't seen the card in play, so I can't be sure. Skeptical, but mm, wouldn't say it's definitely wrong if you've had good experiences with it, but I don't have a lot to add on it. How do I evaluate the five mana blue-white artifact that makes a 4-4? I think it's great in the artifact control deck, like premium, like one of the best uncommons, and uh, like acceptable but unexciting playable in the like aggressive flyer deck. How good are the small flyers in the control version? So I think that you generally are not looking to play super low impact cards like Miner's Guidewing in the control version, but the fact that you can just kind of like chump block with it and then if it draws a card, it basically like cycled into play and gave you some life means it's like not the worst card and like you do want to have a low curve and it does contribute to that. But like it's pretty low impact for a deck that's like trying to play a very long game. Something like Spyglass Siren, I think, is just fantastic regardless. Um, but uh, Miner's Guidewing, I have a little bit less faith in. And uh, similarly, like Rune Lurker Bat, I think, is one of the best uncommons in the Flyer deck. But like, I'd be a little disappointed to play it in the Control deck. Um, so there's certainly, I mean, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't be that sad to play it because, especially like, if you have a bunch of like puzzle door type cards where you're going to be able to like get some scries out of its descend you could get like some use out of it but i i would say that they go from like t you know pr like i'm not looking to pass this card like when i see it i'm expecting to take it in the aggressive decks to well i guess i'll take this if there's nothing else and it might make my deck but it probably won't i guess is my answer to like small flyers meaning one one flyers in the control version how playable is Whirlpool and the more tempo-oriented versions of Blue-White? I hadn't really considered it. This one, the more of your creatures have flying, the better it is. Because, like, so if you have, you know, like, if you include, like, the Tote Gem Guard package in your Flyer deck, then the Whirlpool is pretty bad because your opponent might have trouble attacking you on the ground. If your deck is basically just all little flyers and you're racing in the air while your opponent's attacking you with their dinosaurs on the ground, then having a three-mana removal spell for their attacking dinosaur is great. So 
I think that there's a pretty wide range of how successful Whirlpool can be in the like aggressive blue white decks. But yeah, the the really like the fewer non-flyers you have, the better it is. So if you're like a low creature control deck, it's very good. And if you have a lot of flyers, it's very good. And in general, if you're like not concerned with attacking your opponent ever, so they're going to have to attack you at some point, then it's pretty good. But, uh, you know, it's not that those situations don't uh, not not all decks fit into one of those situations. So there are template decks that don't want it. But blue white is a good home for it, broadly speaking. Question about when do you decide to play the control version? I can see a case where you're picking aggressive stuff and then uh, get shut out, uh, creating a dirtily deck. Yeah. So, like I said, for me, I think that I would generally expect it to be easier to uh, get the cards for the control deck. So I tend to kind of expect that that's where I'm going. I've also found that uh, in this format, I like to have a low curve deck that's designed to uh, establish and create inevitability. And so drafting for the control deck while basically my baseline is expect that I'm playing the control deck and trying to have an inevitability, but also take the premium flyers highly and as I get flyers, if there continue to be flyers, continue taking flyers, and then accidentally fall into the aggressive deck. So I guess you're kind of framing it as, oh, this is an aggressive format, the aggressive deck's really good, so I'm going to try to draft the aggressive deck. I would start the other way. I would say it's more likely that I'm going to end up in the uh, control deck because the tools are uh, for it are available more often. But if the cards for the aggressive deck happen to show up late, then I can seamlessly pivot into that. If you want to approach the format due to like how you're more comfortable playing or differences in how you evaluate cards or whatever, if you want to start by uh, planning to be the aggressive deck unless there's a reason to draft the control deck, then I would say that the thing that should tell you to draft the control deck is getting premium uncommons for the control deck, uh, like the Guide Mural and Clay-Fired Bricks and Spring-Loaded Saw Blades, these kind of like late-game defensive craft artifacts that play better in the defensive uh, deck. So I think that's going to that's gonna wrap us up here. So thanks everyone for tuning in. And to any Americans that are listening to this uh, at the time of recording, uh, happy Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy your week. And I will be back next week for another episode. Bye for now, everyone. Prepare for light speed.